Hey there, podcast listener. Chris Roseborough here right at the front of the podcast. Just want to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. You know that, right? Yeah, yeah, it, it is. If you don't already support us financially, we truly can use your help. So get on your computer. Go on over to fightingforthefaith.com. Click on one of the friendly yellow buttons and support us. And, of course, if you would like to do it the traditional way, make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. And let me thank you for your financial support because we truly can't do what we're doing here without it. All right, on to the program. I enjoyed making it. I hope you enjoy listening to it. Here we go. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Fade. Thursday, June 2nd, 2011. Strange to think that we're like halfway through the year now, man. Well, not quite, but almost. Yeah, the the older you get, the uh, faster you circle the planet. At least that's what it feels like. That's what creeping decrepitude's all about. About. See, you, you can't talk either. Today's a high allergy day. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ. And this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Sadly, there is no shortage of crazy things being said out there, and, um, well... As a result, we have to do the biblical work of a Berean, compare what people are saying, compare their gospel, their doctrine, to what God's Word says it clearly. And uh, and if there's a contradiction, we go with God's Word, not the person who's making the claim that's contrary to God's Word, regardless of how popular they are, regardless of whether or not they are the most influential megachurch pastor on the planet, whether or not they're a multi-million dollar bestseller author kind of person, any yeah, popularity does not is not an indicator of sound Christian doctrine. So um, that's how we roll here at Fighting for the Faith, and I decided I would reemphasize that, like I do on a daily basis. Now, to oh man, you know I'm I'm looking at the docket here. I'm looking at the stuff that we've got on deck for today, and, and here's the good news: um, I have too much for one program. Um, <laughs> that's the good news. Uh, the, uh, the, um, I don't know if there's bad news to this. The bad news is we may not get to it all. We probably won't, but, um, you know, let's, you know, let's take a look at the things that I want to uh, talk about. I've got, um, well, I've got news of sorts, uh, regarding William Tapley, the third eagle of the apocalypse. Uh, he's, um, he's made it on, well, he's been mentioned on a national news, um, program and, um, and so, uh, I mean, we we want to uh, recognize uh, William Chapley, the third eagle of the apocalypse, and his um, being mentioned on Anderson Cooper's uh, program. That's quite a milestone. I, I'm just not sure if the nation is ready for, um, well, uh, William Tapley and what all this in, in, in basically means. I've got, let's see, I'm looking at the news here. Um, do I want to talk about this? Yeah, I don't know if you heard this. Uh, a new study suggests born-again Christians have smaller brains. I could get potentially get to that. I got 
Uh, Dr. Michael Horton talking about the church planter movement. I've got uh, Albert Muller um, kind of, um, you know, giving us a... Uh, a tidy summary of uh, of uh, ha- the the Harold Camping problemos. Um, I'm not going to do evolutionary Christianity today. Let's take a look. Um, I, I've also got uh, an interesting Justin Taylor piece. Uh, Justin Taylor writes for the Gospel Coalition, and uh, uh, today he put out uh, a very interesting piece that I thought would be uh, good to review or to read in light of uh, Pastor Charmley's email yesterday of of how people, you know, basically take all of a a dictionary's definition and attach it to a word uh, as a means of, you know, so-called, you know, doing so-called Bible teaching. And so we'll take a look at that. Um, uh, We've got Rael news. Um, Yeah, uh, the so-called Lord Rael, who claims to be Jesus Christ returned, um, hasn't really made quite the impact I I think that uh, he had hoped that he would make. And and what I mean by that is is that uh, you figure it this way. Um, um, this is this the Lord Rael who claims to be Jesus Christ return um, uh, returned. Uh, the second advent apparently uh, took place on May twenty first. Um, it's I mean it's almost as um, uh, well as much of a downer uh, as unimpressive as. Uh, Harold Camping's claim that uh, the rapture took place on May 21st. And the reason I say that is is that uh, from what I understand, uh, you know, current estimates are there are 6.5 billion people on planet Earth. 6.5 billion. And um, uh, Lord Rael, who claims to be Jesus Christ, returned. Um, uh, he, he's now here to judge us. Um his first video uh, had 17,743 views. That's it. Um, I mean, statistically, that might as well be zero. I mean, it's such a lame Jesus here. I mean, you know, that not even the, I mean, really only a small, minuscule uh, fraction of the world's population even knows that uh, this guy exists. Uh, but then his second video did jump up to 20,000. He's got 20,000 views um for his second video so i mean there's some improvement there um and i how much do you want to bet some of that's like crossover stuff so uh, it, so, it seems to me that uh, you know the lord Ryle, who claims to be jesus christ um you know returned um his latest video is entitled you were warned and uh, and so i feel like we need to help here and, and you know to get this message out i mean 6.5 billion people is a lot of people he needs to reach um, yeah, um, so, uh, you know, maybe a little bit of a push from Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio will <clears throat> help this false Jesus get his uh, message out. And and then for hour number two, hour number two, uh, we've got an, an important thing that we're going to be doing in our sermon review today. And uh, let me give you a teaser here. You know, let's see if this helps. A short time ago, in a church not far enough away, <laughs> seeker-driven wars, in the quest to be relevant and fight the 
the intergalactic enemy of boredom. Pastors from across the globe have banded together in a, in a, in a rebellion, in, an alliance of sorts to help make Jesus more relevant and, and, and to get people into their church and to count more nickels and more noses. And so as a result, they've decided to preach on movies. Uh, yeah, um... <laughs> yeah, let me kill the music here. That's kind of a teaser of what we're going to be looking at during our sermon review today. Um, uh, um, yeah, the, uh, the sermon is literally uh, a, a God at the Movies uh, sermon, and on the... Um, movie Star Wars and it's uh, it's it's from uh, North Point Church in Springfield, Missouri. And uh, so uh, yeah, we're going to be looking at that in hour number 2 today um because I mean after all, it, you know, for those uh, heresy season is officially over. Uh we're waiting for the next heresy season to begin. Next heresy season begins on Labor Day. And uh, and so you know what you know, those uh, seeker driven uh, adult youth groups um, uh, those are youth groups and they're not really churches but they're youth groups for people who are chronologically above the age of eighteen but still have the immediate appetites of a teenager. Um, they um, they're God at the movies uh, sermon series. Um, well, um, the pastor there, Tommy Sparger, had decided to um, do a Star Wars sermon um kind of strange don't you think because um correct me if i'm wrong but isn't the spirituality presented in star wars really a buddhist uh you know it's really uh you know buddhist panentheism uh, or buddhist pantheism that's uh being uh, proclaimed in that uh, i in the in those all of those uh star wars movies and i just don't see that as being well, appropriate um, matter to be preaching about um, uh, at a Christian church on a Sunday morning. So uh, anyway, we'll see what Tommy Sparger does with we'll us, see if there's any clear Bible teaching that goes on with the, the uh, God at the Movies uh, uh, Star Wars sermon. So we got a lot of ground to cover today, lots and lots of ground. Uh, so make yourself comfortable. Um <laughs> Fuzzy bunny slippers, uh, if the weather permits. You don't want to. You don't want to wear fuzzy bunny slippers while listening to Fighting for the Faith if the weather is warm. That fuzzy bunny slippers do enhance um, uh, your listener experience, but only if your feet aren't sweating. So you, you keep that in mind. Um, if you want to exercise while listening to Fighting for the Faith, uh, no problem. Uh, take all of the necessary precautions uh, you know, as far as your safety is concerned. Do keep in mind that listening to Fighting for the Faith uh, while trying to do something productive. Um, Fighting for the Faith has actually been proven to decrease overall productivity. Um, so uh, that just keep that in mind. So, you know, if if you are in the middle of something and you're trying to multitask while listening to Fighting for the Faith and you don't end up getting as far along in your production task as you had anticipated, well, it's because this program does cut into productivity. So I just, it's important to know that. And if you, of course, the the best way to listen to fighting for the faith kick up your heels sit down relax 
relax. And if you want to enjoy enjoy it, an adult adult beverage, no problem. Go right ahead. But keep in mind, the biblical prohibition is drunkenness. You don't want to take that wonderful gift that God has given us and take it to the extreme where you become enslaved to it. You know, you don't want to be enslaved to a gift. That's kind of silly. Anyway, um, so uh, <clears throat> let's uh, dive into the program proper, and uh, that requires us to do this. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. I feel fine. Bum, bum, bum. All right, let's uh, kill the music there. Yeah, so uh, this is a different kind of William Tapley update. Normally when we do a William Tapley update, what we're trying to do is, uh, you know, pass along the relevant um, prophetic insights of um, William Tapley, the third eagle of the apocalypse. Uh, the, the problem is is that uh, not all of his um, stuff is, well, um, the best material for radio. That, that's probably the best way I can put it, you know, at least putting it kindly. Uh, but to see, the thing is, is that, you know, I'm glad to say that I am something of a, a mover and a shaker. And what I mean by that is, is that... Uh, uh, I, I'm on the cutting edge here of uh, of uh, theological radio relevance uh, because, you know, I discovered William Tapley a long time ago. Well, Anderson Cooper from CNN's Anderson Cooper 360, he's discovered William Tapley and uh, has put William Tapley on what is called the ridiculous. Yeah, l- listen in. CNN, weeknights, 10 Time now for the ridiculous, and tonight we're adding a gentleman by the name of William Tapley. But you probably know him by his other names. I'm your host, William Tapley, also known as the Third Eagle of the Apocalypse and the co-prophet of the End Times. That's quite a resume, isn't it? Uh, Quite a resume, indeed. And William is putting it to good use, making dozens upon dozens of videos and posting them on YouTube for a show he calls Revelation Unraveled. Bravo TV, it ain't. (laughs) Yeah, I'm with you there, Anderson. Uh, You know, I don't agree with practically just about anything you ever say, but... Uh, on this one, yeah, I, I'm with you. Right, I'm right down the line with you here. In amongst this veritable avalanche of videos is an expose in which William gets to the bottom of what's going on at the Denver International Airport. Now, I, I gotta, I gotta warn you here, um, Anderson. Uh, um, let's just put it this way: uh, in the video segments that they're going to highlight of William Tapley's, um, mm, uh, yeah, let's just say the material is um, a little bit on the. Uh, I think he purposely picked the like the the raciest stuff that uh, William Tapley's ever done. You're thinking William Tapley's done some racy stuff? Yeah, kinda. Uh, listen in here. This program is a continuation of my series on the Denver International Airport, and especially the murals and the art contained therein, because they are evil. 
They are signs of Satanism. And on this program, I will point out that many of them are phallic symbols. Oh, man. Um, really? Say what now? I, I know what you're thinking. This sounds like another crazy conspiracy theory from some loon on the Internet. But before we <laughs> rush to judgment, let's hear the... No, it, it really does. It, that, the, you haven't rushed to judgment. If that's your conclusion regarding William Tapley, kind of self-deceived there spiritually. Um, now, because it just so happens William has some evidence. Oh, yeah. This sign on the penguin's cage constitutes a phallic symbol. Please notice that the Latin name for this bird includes the word impanus. Now, that is not accidental. The bird standing upright is phallic. The shape of the sign is phallic. And even the name is phallic. <laughs> All right. So he's able to find one example. He's able to find one example. Big deal. It doesn't prove any... What? Oh, he's found another example. Okay, roll the tape. Many of the shapes on the horse's tail and mane are phallic shapes. All right, two examples. Big deal. It's not like the whole outdoor baggage handling area is in the shape of a phallus. The outdoor baggage handling area is in the shape of a phallus. Let's take a closer look. Up here we see the testicle area, and then out here the phallus. Imagine what he sees in the clouds. Now, I must say, I don't find William's argument all that convincing, and I'm kind of disappointed because I looked into his catalog of work, and generally his theories are spot on. You will not be raptured if you are using condoms. The topic of this program is why a woman should not be president of the United States. The news media is demonic. Michelle Obama dressed up as a leopard in this year's White House Halloween party. I thought this was very unusual. World War III, don't blame me. Throw some water, food, and fuel immediately. Oh, man. Yeah, the, <laughs> the William Tapley montage here at the end is uh, to die for, that's for sure. He even sings. So here's to you, third eagle of the apocalypse, co-prophet of the end times. For all your good work, you're cleared for landing on the ridiculous. There you go. So uh, we want to just uh, yeah, give William Tapley a, you know, a two thumbs up there for making a, a national news uh, program. Oh, man. Is the nation ready for William Tapley? That's all I have to ask. It's <laughs> oh, all right. Move, <laughs> moving along. <laughs> Um, you know, listen. Uh, in the uh, in the false Christ uh, uh, false Christ department, it's truly difficult to get respect. I mean, you know, I, I think of uh, the, the late Rodney Dangerfield. You know, who, who who always complained about the fact that he just can't get any respect. Well, uh, Lord Rael, at least that's what he calls himself, who claims to be Jesus Christ returned, has just posted a new video that says, "You were warned," and and uh, and the video starts off with uh, some of the feedback he's been getting from people regarding his announcement that uh, he is Jesus Christ and that he has returned, and apparently, um, uh, people haven't um, bent the knee in in praise and adulation of um, Lord Rael and. And thrown palm branches in front of him while he was riding on a on a, a white donkey or anything of the sort. Uh, in fact, uh, he's pretty much uh, the 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 general consensus of those who've seen um, his video is uh, that uh, this guy's a nut job, and uh, and uh, and so they've heaped sh uh, scorn and ridicule upon him 
call him a liar. Pastors have said that he's uh, a false Christ and and he's uh, demonic, things like that. And well, he, like any good false Jesus, he just can't take the ridicule lying down. He he's got to respond. And so Lord Rael has issued a warning. Uh, to let you know that you have been warned. So this is a warning about his warning regarding the judgment that he's going to exact on planet Earth. Oh, and Lord Rael, by the way, is taking credit for the um, tornado that took place in Joplin, Missouri. Yeah, yeah, listen. They test me, Father. They mock me, hate me. When all I have done is offer them salvation. Yeah, um, uh, sorry, uh, you don't look or sound anything like Jesus, and your message isn't really his either. Um, you're either self-deluded or deceiving, um, maybe both. Yeah. In two thousand years. You know, I would rather listen to the late Marlon Brando trying try to do a British accent. Yeah. Uh, they have not changed. They are still the wicked, ungrateful children they always were. Uh, yeah, because, uh, Lord Rael, uh, listen, if you would read the Bible, um, I know you claim to be Jesus Christ, but this shouldn't surprise you, because according to the scriptures, you know, that are inspired by God, who you are claiming to be, um, Men, since the fall of in, in the, at the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve rebelled against uh, Jesus, rebelled against God, and you know did what they weren't supposed to do. Ever since then, that time, everybody who was born according to the natural course of things, who are direct descendants of Adam and Eve, they're born dead in trespasses and sins. They're born enemies of of God. So here you are complaining about something that, well, just basic Christian doctrine one hundred and one would tell you, duh. Uh, anyway. I know, Father, what you would have me do. Come on, bring it on, Lord Rael. That I should chastise them. Well, get on with it. Start chastising. I mean, chastise away. You've got, a, you've got my radio audience listening in for the, the big rebuke. Go on. <sighs> Is that all you got? Is just a big... I was expecting, you know, something global, something that everybody, you know, the 6.5 billion people on the planet could see. So be it. Well, there you go. So be it. I'm not sure what that means. Um, poor Lord Rael. I mean, I mean, it's just so difficult to get people to respect you as a false Jesus. Yeah, so there you go. I mean, the big rebuke. Well, a big sigh, and uh, so be it. All right. Well, there you go. Uh, okay. Um, we're up on our first break. If you would like to email me regarding, well, anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, uh, Pirate Christian, or Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Pirate Christian. Yeah, you got it. Anyway, I lost my train of thought. But anyway, we'll be right back.
Relevance Schmelevance. We preach Christ crucified for our sins. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Ridge Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. It's... Monty Python's Flying Circus Church. And now presenting for your listening pleasure, Majestic Mystery by Brian McLaren, read by Reginald Bumper Scatter. Oh, majestic mystery. Oh, mysterious majesty. My small hand can never grasp you. I can only hold it open. I don't like this at all. Majestic mystery. I think I'm going to be sick. Mysterious. He's saying words, but I'm not even sure it's English. Small mind. <laughs> ah! My appendix just turned inside out. Someone help that poor man and call the paramedics. What's all this then? That poor man appendix is just turned inside out. Well, that doesn't sound good. It's not every day that people appendixes do that. What was he doing? Listening to the emergent poet on stage. He didn't tell me there was emergent poetry being read. Right. Everybody evacuate the building immediately. Here come the Navy SEALs. What seems to be the trouble? Somebody in that building is reading emergent poetry. Have you set up a soundproof perimeter? No, I haven't had time. Oh, we can't help you then. What do you mean you can't help us? Too dangerous. Too dangerous? Don't get cheeky with me. You've seen but a small taste of emergent poetry's destructive power. It only gets worse with each passing stanza. Game over, dude. Game over. Quick, get that man into quarantine. His soul's been sucked out from his nostrils. Isn't that? Anything you can do to help that poor man? Afraid not. The only answer we have now is to nuke the site from orbit. You hold it open. It's open to you, fantastic mystery. Search the area and make sure no one's hiding in the refrigerator. We can't have any survivors. It's been nice serving with you, Chief. Likewise. Can't believe the world's come to this.
Chris Roseborough here to talk about this month's perk for those of you who are members of the Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio crew. Have you ever been to Walt Disney World or Disneyland and taken a VIP tour of one of those parks? Well, if so, then you know just how valuable those tours can be in pointing you to things that you had never even noticed before. Well, this month's resource, Dr. Paul Kretzman's popular commentary on the Gospel of Matthew, is like a VIP walkthrough tour of the Gospel of Matthew itself. It's fascinating, in-depth, written on a lay level, and it'll help you to achieve a much deeper appreciation and understanding of this vital, vital biblical book. Now, if you would like to get a copy of this, this is only available for our crew members. So the way you join our crew is visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. Click on the one that says Join Our Crew. You're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And once you fill that out, we will send you an email giving you instructions on how to download this wonderful book. So head on over to fightingforthefaith.com. Join our crew today, and thank you for your support. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith will cause you to heap scorn and ridicule on people claiming to be Jesus who aren't. Just want to let you know that's one of the side effects of listening to this program. Need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith, this is listener-supported radio, and we truly do depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions, in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you. We are currently uh, still in the process of uh, trying to meet our goal of 350 new uh, crew members. We, uh, we, we're we between 200 and we, – well, we need uh, still an additional 200 to 220 new crew members in order to uh, achieve this goal. So – uh, you, the listener, if you don't already support Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio, uh, please, please, please do so, so that we can uh, continue to meet budget every month and pay our bills so that we can keep bringing this important radio outreach to you and to the world. It's a partnership, if you would. And when you join our crew, uh, this month's uh, featured resource is a VIP tour of the Gospel of Matthew. It's uh, Dr. Paul Kretzman's popular commentary on the Gospel of Matthew. Fantastic stuff. I'm I'm not quite done doing the editing on that. In fact, uh, I've been spending my, uh, when I when I get off the air, I spend my evenings working on t-shirts and uh, editing, uh, uh, doing the final edits on the text for uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Kretzman's commentary on the Gospel of Matthew. It's been a little busy lately. But anyway, uh, we'll hopefully be sending that out sometime early next week. And so join our crew. And uh, as soon as you do, uh, you know, well, actually, not as soon as you do, but uh, if you do, then we will send you out the uh, the link so that you can download that great, great ebook and resource that'll really, truly kind of give you a an idea of how people in the past have uh, looked at the depth of God's word and handled it correctly. And you'll wonder why aren't pastors so many of them? Why are so many of pastors not doing the same thing today? Anyway. Um, so it, if want to thank you in advance for your support. Of course, if you'd like to make a one-time contribution, you can do so by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, the zip code 46038. Now, before we, um, before we, uh, read this, um, uh, next thing by Dr. Albert Muller, somebody on my Facebook wall, um, 
drew this uh, comparison that I thought was kind of, well, actually more than a little bit spot on. And um, comparing uh, uh, Harold Camping to um, the Black Knight in the movie uh, Monty Python's The Holy Grail. Here, listen to uh, the exchange between King Arthur and the Black Knight and uh, and see if you see any similarities between the Black Knight and Harold Camping. Here, here we go. Come, Patsy. None shall pass. What? None shall pass. I have no quarrel with you, good Sir Knight. But I must cross this bridge. Then you shall die. I command you, as king of the Britons, to stand aside. I'm... <laughs> I love that line. Move for no man. So be it. That's uh, King Arthur and the Black Knight are now dueling to the death. Okay, the Black Knight has just have his, had his left arm cut off, severed by the um, the sword of um, uh, King Arthur there. Um, they, you would think at this point that the fight's over, but, well, no, not according to the Black Knight. Now stand aside, worthy adversary. Tis but a scratch. A scratch? Your arm's off. No, it isn't. Well, what's that, then? I've heard worse. You liar! Come on, you pansy! Again, we're we're looking for the connection between the Black Knight and Harold Camping. See if you've noticed it yet. And there goes the well, there goes the other arm, the right arm of the Black Knight. Now he's completely armless. Victory is mine. We thank thee, Lord, that in thy mercy. And the Black Knight has not, well, um, basically. Uh, forfeited at this point. He wants to keep going. Even though he has no arms, he's going to stay in the battle. Come on, then. What? How about you? <laughs> you are indeed brave tonight, but the fight is mine. Oh, and enough, eh? Look, that you've got no arms left. Yes, I have. Look! Just a flesh wound. Look, stop that. Chicken. Chicken. Look, I'll have your leg. Right! And there goes one of his legs. Right. I'll do you for that. You're what? Come here. What are you going to do? Bleed on me? I'm invincible. You're a loony. The Black Knight always triumphs. How about you? Come on, then. And there goes his other leg. Now he's completely stumpy. All right. We'll call it a draw. Come, Patsy. Oh, oh, I see. Running away, eh? Come back here and take what's coming to you. Uh, yeah, so there you go. Um, now, did you notice any of the similarities between the Black Knight and Harold Camping? Um, well, think of it this way. Uh, back when Harold Camping made his first mm, failed prophetic prediction that uh, Jesus was coming back, 
Um, that was like him losing one arm and then claiming that he can keep fighting on, and and then his next failed prophetic provision, uh, pro, uh, you know, pro- prophecy didn't come to pass. His prediction failed, and then he lost his other arm. But he's staying in the fight. He, you know, valiant, valiant Sir Knight Harold Camping. I, I think he's, I think he's probably related in some ways uh, to um, uh, Harold Camping. I'm, I'm just thinking that the two are well cut from the same cloth. Anyway, let's move along here. From the albertmuller.com website. Talking about Harold Camping, false prophets, false teachers, and real trouble. The case of Harold Camping. Andy Warhol was wrong. Fame doesn't last just 15 minutes. After all, Harold Camping is still in the news more than a week after his prophecy that the world would end on May 21st at 6 p.m. turned out as expected to be false. <clears throat> He's going to bleed on us. Anyway, Camping's End of the World Prophecy and the related publicity circus gained international attention. It was virtually inevitable that his claims would become a matter of global interest, followed by international international derision. After all, Camping had claimed to have discovered a secret code within the Bible that allowed him to predict the precise day that Christ would appear and judgment would begin. As he told the press, he was certain that the end of the world was absolutely going to happen without any question at all. In anticipation of May 21, Camping and his followers purchased thousands of billboard advertisements and sent the message across America painted on recreational vehicles. Some of his followers emptied their bank accounts and gave away their possessions, expecting no longer to need them. When May 21st came and went, and the end of the world clearly did not happen, uh, Camping did not apologize or even concede the fact that his prophecy was false. Instead, he said that the May 21st date was actually a spiritual judgment day, and that the actual day signaled the cataclysmic earthquakes would come... On October 21st, uh, the derision and laughter from the secular community was loud and entirely predictable. An atheist group offered to take care of pets for of those who were raptured before a fee. Late-night comedians have yet to let go of the affair, and Harold Camping is, at least for the moment, a famous man. Harold Camping is not, however, a trained Bible scholar or a pastor. He holds an undergraduate graduate engineering degree from the University of California, Berkeley. That might be the problem. Um, <laughs> he was, sorry, uh, he, he was for years an elder in the Christian Reformed Church, but the major platform for his teachings emerged when he joined with others to purchase an FM radio station in 1958, long before FM was a major player in the broadcasting world. All that would change, of course, and Camping's expanding radio ministry known as Family Radio grew uh, with the new medium, May 21 was not his first failed prophecy. In 1992, he started predicting the end of the world in 1994. When that year passed, Camping just declared that he had misunderstood the hidden code within the Bible. Seventeen years later, he was wrong again. But Mr. Camping is not merely wrong on this rather embarrassing matter. More importantly, he has called for Christians to leave their churches, claiming to have found in the Bible the announcement of, that the age of the church has passed. Maybe he got that from Rael. I don't know. Anyway, since the church no longer exists, he has taught, Christians should leave the so-called churches and and merely associate for fellowship. Baptism and the Lord's Supper commanded by the Lord to be practiced until he comes are no more, Camping has taught. 
Along the way, Camping has also denied the biblical doctrine of hell. More recently, he has declared the end of evangelism, telling listeners on his program that his concern now is for true believers in preparation for the October 21st arrival of Judgment Day. Harold Camping has refused all correction and all efforts to persuade him to cease his false teachings. He left a major denomination and cast out on his own. He has received delegations of concerned theologians and major Christian leaders but he has resisted all efforts and repudiated accountability to the church. He is the classic example of a false teacher and a false prophet, about which the Bible has so much to say, and yet some Christians have suggested that his errors shouldn't go uncorrected and his false teaching should be tolerated just because he's an old man. I'm Harold Camping, and and you can't rebuke me because I'm old and feeble. Yeah, that doesn't work. Um, <clears throat> Mr. Camping will be 90 years old on July 19th, but his false teachings are not a factor of old age. Uh, he began these teachings long ago. Furthermore, he bears all the signs of a false prophet. He claims to have a secret knowledge revealed only to him by God. He claims to have found a hidden code in the Bible. He rejects what he calls literalism and claims to be uh, claims the right to be spiritual uh, in his interpretation of the biblical text. He has rejected all correction from the believing church and persists in his false teaching. He has led thousands astray from the truth and has brought reproach upon the body of Christ. He refuses even to concede that his prophecy was false. He and he alone is right. The Bible has a great deal to say about false teachers and false prophets. In the Old Testament, prophets whose prophecies turned out to be false were to be put to death. That's right. You were to take them outside the city gates and throw rocks at them until they stopped moving and breathing. Uh, According to the New Testament, they are to be exposed, removed from the church, and no longer even to be greeted by believers. Uh, The Apostle Paul warned Timothy that some with itching ears would accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. He warned Titus of those who would upset the church and its families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach, Titus 1, 11. Peter's words to the church are especially directed to the rise of false teachers, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them and bringing upon themselves swift destruction. See Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1. For this reason, James warned, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Those are sober words, and false teachers are in real trouble. That was true in the first century as the church began, and it is certainly true now. The difference now is the velocity with which false teachings can be disseminated. I I think it's velocity and volume. I mean, there's so many of these people running around the landscape now. Today's church cannot remain faithful if it tolerates false teachers and leaves their teachings uncorrected and uh, confronted. Harold Camping is not the first false teacher to present the church with such a test of faithfulness, nor will he be the last. That's right. Absolutely true, Dr. Muller, and you're right. Just because Harold Camping is 89 years old does not mean that he gets a pass. Um, it's one of the reasons why on this program I've basically lumped him in with Charles Taze Russell, uh, Joseph Smith, and, and Muhammad because uh, he, he's left the Christian reservation. He's off the camp, if you would, uh, pun intended. And uh, just because Harold Camping is 89 years old doesn't mean that he gets a pass. <clears throat> yeah, so, all right, moving along. Now I, gotta, I have to have a debate with myself. What do I want to do next? Hmm, 
you know, I'm going to do uh, I, I'm going to do two things. I uh, looking at my time here. Got to got to budget my time correctly so that we get this all taken care of here uh, today. Um, yeah, the um. Now, if you remember yesterday's program, I read uh, Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edwards, Edward Charmley's email regarding uh, Lisa Bevere's um, speech entitled Lioness Arising. And he pointed out the fact that uh, she suffered from a problem where she kind of just poured into the um, in, into uh, you know the, the word lioness every single definition that could possibly exist. And as a result of it, she wasn't really teaching us anything about what the biblical imagery regarding lioness meant when Israel was compared to a lioness. Um, Justin Taylor, um, completely on his own, uh, kind of came up with a blog post that kind of fits in that same vein and it's worth passing along. And so the, and, and I, I got to warn you ahead of time. It's a little bit heady. Um, the, the name of, uh, Justin Taylor's, uh, blog post is entitled a parody over, uh, sorry, a parody of over interpreting the Bible, a parody of over interpreting the Bible, and you can find this at thegospelcoalition.org forward slash blogs forward slash Justin Taylor. So, just so you know, and it was published today. Uh, Justin Taylor writes, he says, a classic illustration from Moises Silva, which had a significant impression on me when I first read it in the late 1990s. It is approximately the year. 2,790, the most powerful nations on the earth, occupy a large territory in Central Africa, and its citizens speak Swahili. The United States and other English-speaking countries have long ceased to exist, and much of the literature prior to the year 2012, the year of the Great Conflagration, (laughs) is not extant. Some archaeologists digging in the western regions of North America discovered a short but well-preserved text that can confidently be dated to the last quarter of the 20th century. And this text reads thus, quote, Marilyn, tired of her glamorous image, embarked on a new project. She would now cultivate her mind, sharpen her verbal skills, pay attention to standards of etiquette. Most important of all, she would devote herself to charitable causes. Accordingly, she offered her services at the local hospital, which needed volunteers to cheer up terminal patients, many of whom had been in considerable pain for a long time. The weeks flew by. One day she was sitting in the cafeteria when her supervisor approached her and said, I didn't see you yesterday. What were you doing? I painted my apartment. It was my day off, she responded. Now, that's what this text, this text that was discovered in the in the future reads, okay? So, uh, Taylor continues, says, The archaeologists know just enough English to realize that this fragment is a major literary find that deserves closer inspections. So, they rush the piece to one of the finest philologists in their home country. The scholar dedicates his next sabbatical to a thorough study of the text and decides to publish an exegetical commentary on it. And here's what he wrote. This is what he wrote as follows. Quote, We are unable to determine whether this text is an excerpt from a novel or from a historical biography. Most surely, however, it was produced in a religious context. It, it is evident from the use of such words as devoted, offered, 
and charitable. In any case, this passage illustrates the literary power of 20th century English, a language full of metaphors. The verb embark calls to mind an ocean liner leaving for an adventuresome cruise while cultivate possibly alerts the reader to Maryland's botanical interests. In those days, North Americans compared time to a bird, probably the eagle that flies. The author of this piece, moreover, makes clever use of word associations. For example, the term glamorous is entomologically related to grammar, a concept no doubt reflected in the comment about Maryland's verbal skills. Consider also the subtleties implied by the statement that her supervisor approached her. The verb approach has a rich usage. It may indicate similar appearance or condition. This painting approaches the quality of a Picasso. It may have sexual innuendo. The rapist approached his victim. It may reflect subservience. He approached his boss for a raise. The cognate noun can be used in context of engineering. For example, access to, to a bridge, sports, or a golf stroke following the drive from the tee, and even war, the trench that protects troops besieging a fortress. Society in the 20th century is great. Greatly illuminated by this text, the word patient from patience, meaning endurance, indicates that sick people then underwent a great deal of suffering. They endured not only the affliction of their physical illness, but also the mediocre skills of their medical doctors, and even to judge from the contemporary documents, the burden of increasing financial costs. Few syntactical notes may be of interest to language students. The, pro- the preposition of had, a, had different uses, casual, tired of, superlative, most important of all, and part- partitive, many of whom. The simple past tense had several heuristic functions. Embarked clearly implies determination, while offered suggests Maryland once for all definitive intention. Quite noticeable is the tense of variation at the end of the text. The supervisor in his question uses the imperfect tense we're doing perhaps suggesting monotony slowness or even laziness offended maryland retorts with a punctiliar and emphatic errorist i painted now that's the end of the so-called quote now readers of bible commentaries as well as listeners of sermons will recognize that my caricature is only mildly outrageous. Silva goes on to point out the obvious. Not only does this exegesis over-interpretation, but it contributes virtually nothing to the reader's understanding of what the passage actually says. He then goes on to say, preachers who make appeals to the original language may in some cases help their readers obtain a better insight into scripture. More often than not, however, such appeals serve one of two functions. One, they merely furnish illustrations to heighten interest to that hearers like that they have a better understanding of the passage, uh, cross-reference the comment on Embark Above. Uh, Two, they provide the occasion to make uh, a point that has little to do with the passage, cross-reference the comment on the word patient. The parody is found in Silva's excellent book, God, Language, Scripture, Reading the Bible in Light of General Linguistics, reprinted in the volume Foundations of Contemporary Interpretation, published by Zondervan in 1990, see pages 199 to 201. And this book is profitably read in conjunction with D.A. Carson's fantastic book, Exegetical Fallacies, second edition, Baker Academic Press, 1996. So thank you, uh, Justin Taylor. Great point. And that really follows on the heels of uh, what we were talking about yesterday. Be very careful. 
And you know, as somebody who understands the biblical languages myself, I, I you know, read Greek and Hebrew, is that when when you're when you're doing work to help people understand what's in a text, the goal of of those biblical languages is not to make it so that people can't access what the text says, but to actually show them what that text means in context in the original languages. If you can't do that in a coherent manner, uh, or if you overinterpret the biblical passages using your Greek and Hebrew tools, you're not doing anybody a favor. In fact, you're making the Bible less understandable rather than more, and that works against the perspicuity of Scripture. So yeah, anyway, good point. Okay, moving along. Last thing we're going to do before we go to our second break and then come back to play our Star Wars sermon. Um, yeah, because, you know, it's summer movie preaching time. Um, I've got um, I've got a, sh- a short audio from a, a video interview of Lane Chaplin interviewing Michael, Dr. Michael Horton on the church planting movement. And I think this is a very, very insightful little uh, clip that uh, Lane put up for us and, you know, and lifted out of his entire interview itself. If you want to see it, it by the way, you can go to uh, youtube.com forward slash Lane CH. YouTube.com forward slash Lane CH. Anyway, um, the so he, here is Michael Horton and Lane Chaplin, mostly Michael Horton, talking about the um, some of the problems with the church planter movement. Here we go. Um, do you think that's also leading? I mean, I know the church planting movement, which I guess is a lot uh, in a lot of ways similar to the missional. Um, do you think that's leading to? Uh, young men basically just going out and saying, hey, you know, I can participate in the church planning movement, move and move and move and never get established. Yeah. There's a difference between tumbleweeds and trees. Right. (laughs) And there are a lot of tumbleweeds. And I think even in, you know, uh, step on toes here, a lot of of my friends, I I say this uh, uh, out of concern, not at all out out of criticism, um, but but real genuine concern. There are a lot of people today who are really rejoicing in the doctrines of grace, and they're getting the fact that it's God. Uh, it, the story is about God and what He has done in His Son Jesus Christ. Uh, they're, they're they are discovering election and God's sovereign grace, and it's wonderful and, and encouraging. But un- until we deal with also the doctrine of the church. Yep, that listen in, this is exactly right. Until we deal with the doctrine of the church. Here's the problem. You got a lot of guys out there uh who you know are are embracing kind of a, a more or less reformed uh you know j- doctrine regarding justification by grace alone through faith alone by Christ's work alone. But methodologically there's a problem. Their their methods are not in in keeping with sound biblical doctrine regarding ecclesiology. And here's Dr. Horton continues. Uh it's going to be uh, uh the doctrines of grace are going to be firmly planted in midair. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a, a danger that we see today where a movement instead of a church is discipling people. Mm-hmm. You have to be in a church where the word is rightly preached, the sacraments are rightly administered, and there is church discipline. There are elders and deacons. And my concern, my concern today is we have basically moved away ever since the Second Great Awakening and revive, the triumph of revivalism. We have assumed that uh, the church's discernment of gifts and 
and, and, and uh, uh, nurturing those gifts by sending them to seminary where they learn the Bible in the original languages, they learn how to properly exegete the scriptures, they learn the theology of the Old and New Testaments, they learn church history, they learn historical theology, they learn systematic theology so they can put the pieces together. That, and then practical theology where they learn how to make the connection to pastoral ministry, that they don't need that kind of formal training. And there are a lot of new Calvinists today who are basically followers of Charles Finney when it comes to the actual practice of ministry. Right, exactly. And that's kind of a weird combo, don't you think? Good night. Uh, you know, somebody who is theologically reformed but methodologically Charles Finneyite? <laughs> Talk about a Frankenstein monster. Yikes. Good point. <laughs> you can't staple reformed theology to a basically Finneyite revivalistic ecclesiology. It, it's fire and water. And uh, people... Same thing with Lutheran theology, by the way. Um, good, any good confessional Reformation theology, it really truly isn't compatible with um, Finneyite ecclesiology. It, it, it just doesn't work. Really aren't going to be nurtured, at least by the people who preach to them week in and week out. Uh, in that kind of environment. So uh, I would say, you know, the New Testament has a lot more to say about how our churches should be regulated, how they should be ordered. It says a lot more about even church government. Certainly says a lot more about the sacraments and what they are and, and, and who they're for than, than a lot of evangelicals imagine. They say, well, we've got to be clear about the gospel, but the delivery mechanism that Jesus set up for communicating that gospel, not just to new Christians but uh, or would-be converts, but also to people who have been Christians their whole lives, that, that delivery mechanism, that institution that Jesus founded for that purpose is also uh, given clear direction in, in the New Testament. We can't avoid or ignore those passages. We may debate them, uh, as, as we have had debates over those passages for thousands of years, but we can't ignore them. And I'm concerned that today we're ignoring them. We're saying, oh, that's not, that's not essential. Right. Uh, we have Christian freedom to just wing it and make up our own ecclesiology and, and, and church structure and stuff like that. We can, we can mimic the... Uh, Fortune 500 uh, companies out there that are so successful and and use their innovative vision-casting CEO model as for our pastor. You know, you can't. Uh, the Bible doesn't actually give you the leeway to do that. As long as we get justification right and election right and uh, so forth, we're, we're fine. But uh, no, Christ said, go into all the world, preach the gospel first. Yes, that is the most important. Baptize and teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Everything. Yeah, that would be the full counsel of the Word of God there. And Don't get that at the uh, Finneyite churches, regardless of whether they're um, uh, uh, Reformed or Lutheran or some general evangelical Arminian. Yeah. We prove that over and again in our sermon reviews here. But Jesus, through his apostles, commanded for the regular ministry of the church through pastors, elders, and deacons. 
Right on, right on. So anyway, worth passing along there and talking about uh, Finneyite methodology. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's going to come in in our sermon review here in just a couple minutes. We're up on our second break. If you would like to uh, email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, my name there, Pirate Christian. And we'll be right back. If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough. Of this sissy, pansy, turning photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. Chris Roseborough here to talk about this month's perk for those of you who are members of the Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio crew. Have you ever been to Walt Disney World or Disneyland and taken a VIP tour of one of those parks? Well, if so, then you know just how valuable those tours can be in pointing you to things that you had never even noticed before. Well, this month's resource, Dr. Paul Kretzman's popular commentary on the Gospel of Matthew, is like a VIP walkthrough tour of the Gospel of Matthew itself. It's fascinating, in-depth, written on a lay level, and it'll help you to achieve a much deeper appreciation and understanding of this vital, vital biblical book. Now, if you would like to get a copy of this, this is only available for our crew members. So the way you join our crew is visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. Click on the one that says join our crew. You're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And once you fill that out, we will send you an email giving you instructions on how to download this wonderful book. So head on over to fightingforthefaith.com, join our crew today, and thank you for your support. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith Sermon Review time. Talk about Finneyite methodologies. Yeah, I I cannot believe that we're going to actually get a sermon on this. It's summertime. It's movie preaching time. All right, let's cue up the music. Let's do this.
The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We are an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via North Point Church, Springfield, Missouri. Um, Pastor Tommy Sparger presiding. Sermon series entitled, God at the Movies. The movie we're going to be hearing a sermon about, Star Wars, Episode 3, I think. So this is a classic movie sermon. I mean, I, I just don't understand what's wrong with preaching from the Bible. I mean, why do we have to go to Eastern religions, which is what um, what George Lucas said that he was influenced by. He wasn't trying to give biblical Christianity. He's a guy who's influenced by the New Age and Buddhist mysticism and things like that. Bum, 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 bum. Anyway, let's um, kill the music. Without any further ado, um, here is our ser- sermon on um, the movie Star Wars uh, from the God of the Movie Sermon Series, Star Wars. Here's Tommy Sparger. Here we Oh, boy. You ready for light speed? Here we go. Welcome to God at the Movies, and we are obviously talking about the movie Star Wars tonight. And, uh, you know, for me, Star Wars has been a part of my culture you know, ever since I was a kid. I, I remember being a kid in the 70s, and that's when I grew up. And the two movies that, that came out that were just giant and really changed everything was Star Wars and, uh, and Jaws. So, so my childhood was only complete with C-3PO, R2-D2, and a mechanical shark. I don't know if, if some of you remember those days. Uh, some of you really, like, like, you know, Star Wars has been around since before you were, like, even born. And... Yeah, you know, what's really frightening is is that I know exactly what he's talking about. Star Wars and Jaws were the big change-everything movies uh, when I was a kid. And, and so really, Star Wars has been a part of just the cultural landscape for you just, you know, since since day one. And and for some of you in this room, you're really into Star Wars and you like Star Wars. And, and so, you know, you've, you've got the toys and the games and you know the trivia and you have the collector's items and stuff. And, and, you know, for some of you, you remember being a kid and you remember asking when you're 10 years old or 11 years old for the Star Wars stuff. And you had like your Star Wars cake and birthday party. And, and then some of you... You're 50. You're still asking for it for whatever reason. You know, you're into Star Wars that much. And, and, and you know, it's kind of interesting because one... Yeah, you know, i got to say something, Tommy. And he, here's the deal. Uh, the job of a pastor is... Uh, the, actually, the Bible says very clearly that the pastor is to preach the word in season and out of season. And uh, I, I just don't see anywhere in the scriptures where pastors are given the leeway to borrow from... Um, that Buddhist pantheistic, panentheistic, uh, New Age uh, inspired religions and uh, stories based upon their spirituality as the thing that God's sheep are supposed to be fed on a Sunday morning. Uh, you know, they they say you are what you eat, and yeah, you know, just because you grew up with Star Wars doesn't give you the license to 
turn around and and decide that you're going to abdicate your biblical responsibility, your God-given duties of your office as a pastor, so that you can be, quote, relevant. Um, Yeah, so I guess what we're going to be listening for is, are you going to really preach Christ and him crucified for our sins? Is this really going to be a biblically sound sermon? You know, uh, here's uh, Walter Martin, by the way, back when Walter Martin was alive, Star Wars was already out and about, and uh, he had some things to say about the spirituality of Star Wars. Uh, let's, Let's listen to Walter Martin's critique. God to the New Age people is not the God of the Bible, is not Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, not the eternal creator. The type of amorphous cosmic consciousness which is made up of all of us, which is derived directly from the Hindu Vedas and Upanishad scriptures. The Indian gurus have no difficulty understanding the New Age movement. It's their philosophy and what is known as monistic philosophy. Now, how many of you saw Star Wars? Be honest now. Nobody's going to report you. The Force be with you. You got that? Remember that? The Force be with you? Right, George Lucas, who wrote it and produced and directed it, George Lucas is a New Ager. And George Lucas is teaching New Age philosophy throughout the entire film. And he's teaching you that there's the dark side of the force, Darth Vader, and then there's the light side of the force, uh, Luke Skywalker and Obi-Wan Kenobi. And the force is with you. Let yourself go. Forget reason. Forget logic. Forget everything just wing it intuitively and the force will be with you the only problem is that the force has an evil side and a good side and this is right out of hinduism good and evil are two sides of the same coin but in christianity and the judeo-christian revelation evil is a result of rebellion against god and must be judged Not so in Hindu philosophy. You work out your own salvation in Hinduism by going through cycles of reincarnation. And you pay for all the sins of the past in each succeeding reincarnation. So the New Age movement is characterized by the following things. Universal salvation for everybody. Secondly, an impersonal concept of God. Thirdly, a Christ consciousness which is the divinity of all of us. Fourthly, sin dealt with by reincarnation, but you don't call it sin. And the kingdom of heaven comes to earth, but it comes through the Lord Maitreya. It comes through the philosophy of Hinduism. It does not come through the second advent of Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis, one of your great apologists, made this observation. He said, in the final conflict of the ages... The choice religiously will be made between Hinduism and Christianity. Hinduism, because it absorbs all religious structures into itself. And Christianity, because it excludes all religious structures and affirms the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. The way, the truth, and the life. The two can never meet. They are mutually exclusive. Lewis was 100% correct. He didn't live to see the New Age movement but he accurately prophesied that it would take place. There you go. So the uh, Star Wars movies are really part of New Age Hindu philosophy and Buddhist thought and Eastern stuff. It's 
Why are we preaching about this in a Christian church? That's the question I, I want to know. Commentator uh, talked about just the marketing genius of Star Wars and the phenomenon that it is. And, and he said, and instead of them saying, may the force be with you, maybe they should say, may the cells force be with you because it is that big of a deal. Now, I am totally into Star Wars, love Star Wars, but I do have one problem, like with the movies, and, and I thought I would just get that out of the way with. Here, just one problem. Just, just one. I, yeah, I can think of more than one. Here's my one gripe when it comes to Star Wars, and, and that gripe is this. Yoda. I mean, what is the deal? It, 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 yeah, um, hmm, um, mine would be Jar Jar Binks. I have no, yeah, that, that's, that's my big complaint there. If, if Yoda is supposed to be so smart and so intelligent and so full of wisdom, how come he can't manage to speak a straightforward English sentence? Uh, uh, Tommy, you are aware that, uh, that many people who speak other languages, Yoda's sentence structure actually fits the, you know, other languages on planet Earth, not the English language, but... Totally backwards, his sentences are. Plus, and I don't know if I'm the only one that noticed it, but he looks like a booger. I mean, really. <laughs> and if you don't believe me. Yeah, um, boy, big Christian biblical punchline there. Yoda looks like a booger. Um, wow, that's theologically deep. This is crude, but take one out and just imagine eyes and ears. Okay, now I'm getting creeped out. And uh, that's Yoda. That's him. Just use your imagination. Listen, uh, <laughs> if you watch these movies, Star Wars, if you watch these movies, here's something that you will notice pretty quickly if you watch close enough. There are religious overtones in these movies. Really? I had no idea. And, and that's not by accident. This is actually by design that, that George Lucas intentionally added religious overtones. And, and he really felt that it was important for people to have these kinds of religious and spiritual conversations. And, and, and I'm not saying there's anything theologically profound about Star Wars. but No, it's not profound. It's theologically dangerous. It's the exact opposite of, of the reality revealed in the Bible. But there are spiritual themes. And, and here's what that tells me. And, and I think it's good. I think it's positive. Really? Um, yeah, you think it's positive that your kids are learning Eastern monism? Yeah. If, if a guy like George Lucas will put religious themes and spiritual themes and overtones in his movies and, and Hollywood... Yeah, you do know that there are religious overtones and themes in the Quran, right? In the Bhagavad Gita, there's religious themes and overtones, right? You think those are good? You know, there's religious tones and themes in the Book of Mormon. You, are you familiar with those? Are those good, too? Bats movies like this to the tune of millions of dollars. Here's what it tells me. People are seeking, and they're looking for... Uh, no, they're not. Actually, the Bible clearly says that when it comes to the God of the Bible, people are not seeking. Um, yeah, if you have your Bible, flip on over to the Book of Romans. The Book of Romans. I would like to point something out uh, to you. And that is, is that the Bible makes it very clear that this concept of the seeker-driven church is built on, it, it doesn't exist. Uh, the, one of the, in fact, the primary foundational philosophical thought behind the seeker-driven movement, um, uh, it, it, biblically, it, it ain't there. And the idea there is this, is, is that people are out there seeking for God. 
And, and if you can just make yourself relevant enough, they'll they'll wander into your church because you've hooked them on something relevant, and, and then you can help them find the thing that they're seeking for. Um, Romans chapter um, <clears throat> 3, verse 9, we read, What then? Are we Jews any better off? Well, no, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. There is none righteous. No one seeks for God. We are dead in trespasses and sins. I mean, using Tommy Sparger's logic, we should come to the conclusion that because in the Old Testament there were people who who were um who who built Asherah poles and and uh, and idols and and uh, you know in the in the form of animals and beasts and 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 bowed down and worshiped them that that meant well that's a positive thing. They were seeking God. They were see they were seeking something religious. See that's a good thing. You know, um, no, there is no one who seeks after the biblical God. The biblical God is revealed in his word, and we're supposed to give it a living voice and proclaim and preach what the word says and proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name with the understanding that anybody who has not been regenerated by God the Holy Spirit isn't seeking after the biblical God. They, they may be seeking for something spiritual. They may be seeking for something divine. They may be interested in making a God in their own image, but they're not interested in seeking after the one true God. And no one, according to Scripture, no one seeks God. It doesn't say some people do and some people don't. It says no one seeks. So the entire foundation of the seeker-driven movement is built on a faulty, false premise. We go and we proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins. We are fishers of men, not lure fishers. What I mean by that is we don't have spinners and lures. We're net fishermen. We cast the net of God's word, and God's word captures sinners and brings them to repentance and the forgiveness of their sins. That's what we're supposed to do. So the entire premise behind the seeker-driven movement, Finneyite ideas, is completely flawed and contradicted by the clear teachings of the Word of God. We continue, though, with this Finneyite Star Wars-ish type of sermon. Spiritual things, that may be exactly where you are today. Maybe you're here today and, and you're just not sure. I mean, you're open to the idea of God. You want to connect with God or whatever the great thing is in, the, in this universe, but you're not sure. It seems rather abstract. You, you, you know, you feel kind of lonely in this universe. Is there any purpose? How can we know truth? And you're looking and you're seeking and you're very interested in certain spiritual things. Others of you in this room, maybe that's exactly where you were. You were looking. You know, praying to the Virgin Mary is a spiritual thing. Is that good? Um, there's lots of, quote, spiritual things out there. Sacrificing your child to the god Molech, that's, that was spiritual. Is that a good thing? Here's the deal. I mean, you're just throwing out these terms as if they're, as if they're all morally neutral. Okay? They're not. Scripture says, first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. So other spiritualities 
are not good things. There's nothing positive. We, should, we don't sit there and look at people who are wrapped up in false religions and go, well, look at the bright side. You know, at least they're spiritual. So what? Who cares? Spirituality is not necessarily morally neutral. If there is not spirituality that's founded upon and what God has revealed about himself in the scriptures, it is not based upon the truth of God and instead is based upon a false teaching about God, who he is and what he's done, it's not a positive spirituality. It's something completely negative and sends people to hell. Looking for truth and is there a God and if he does, what is his plan for me and, and, and for you? Yeah, his plan for me. I, that's what people want. I want to find that God who can reveal to me the secret plan for me hidden in the universe somewhere that, you know, obviously it's floating around the dark side of the moon or something. If it, you know, But I, I'm looking for the God who can reveal those secrets to me so that I can know how important I am in the universe. Got it. In the last six months or three months or even year or two years or ten years, you've connected with Jesus, and that seems for you to completely connect the dots. And so it makes sense why you were seeking, why there seemed to be this search going on in your heart, because you connected to him. And, and so now it makes sense. But, but there are definitely in these movies religious overtones and spiritual themes. And, and tonight, I'm going to keep it real simple. I just want to talk about two of the spiritual themes that I see in Star Wars. And I'll spend 95% of my time just talking about the first one. And the first spiritual theme that I see in Star Wars is this. Star Wars taps into the desire of each person to connect with something bigger than themselves. So what? I mean, seriously. I mean, that doesn't even really move the plot along. And, and here's what I mean by this. We all want to know that we've not been left alone in this cold, dark universe to do it by ourselves. We no, want Notice the existentialism here. ...to know and believe that there is a supernatural resource out there that can guide us. It, it was actually... Yeah, so see, we're all looking for a supernatural resource that can guide us. See, it's really all about me. Uh, Tommy, you're not really helping these people this tension, this, this searching, this seeking, this whole, I, I, you know, I feel alone in the universe that led me to Jesus. I can remember staying awake at night and thinking, okay, I sense there's a God. I talk to God. I pray, but then there's a disconnect. And in this universe, is it random or is there purpose? And I saw it and, and I looked and I read and it's that tension and that tension's not wrong and that tension's not bad. It's actually good. It's that tension that caused me to search out Jesus. And, and when I did, it started to make a lot of sense to me. Now, now in the movies, the Star Wars, this whole... And what if that tension leads you to, you know, Islam, and you figure that makes a lot of sense to you? Um, would you be okay with people doing that too? Or what if, what if their, their, their quest, you know, led them to, you know, to become full-blown Buddhist monks? Because that made sense to them. Would, would that be okay with you? What about things that are true and universally and transcendently true for everybody. That means whether it makes sense to you or not, it's true. Like, for instance, I cannot explain to how gravity works, or I, and I cannot explain to you all of the finer points of uh, the, the uh, of relativity, the general law of relativity equals mc squared. Can't explain it to you at all. Whether I, it makes sense to me or not doesn't doesn't mean that it's any less true or not. 
Truth is true regardless of whether it makes sense to the person perceiving it. So the question is, what is truth? Who is God? Is there a God? Who is he? What's he all about? And how can I know that he really truly is God and not just some figment of my imagination that I'm projecting onto the universe? You get what I'm saying? And Tommy's noticed his his epistemology here as well. It made sense to me. Glue supernaturally that holds everything together is called what they call fictionally the force. Everyone say, may the force be with you. Oh, no, no, no. Well, I have a problem with somebody doing that in church. The reason why is uh, because uh, in liturgical churches, like I attend a liturgical church, one of the things we say in the liturgy, the pastor will say, may the Lord be with you, and we respond, and also with you. So when, when Tommy Sparger says something like, may the force be with you in church, I mean, is is the correct response? And, and may the force, you know, so he goes, may the force be with you, and we say, and also with you. And then he immediately chimes in, and now for a reading from the Gospel of uh, Luke. Get, get, get it, Luke's guy. Oh, man. Okay, do it for sure this time. May the force be with you. Now, now. I want to bang my head against something. Here's what George Lucas said. He told Time Magazine, he said, I put the force into the movie in order to try to awaken a certain kind of spirituality in young people. Listen, did you hear that? Just listen to the quote. He put the spiritual, he put the force into the movies to awaken a particular kind of spirituality. Do you think that George Lucas was trying to awaken within people the spirituality of the New Testament and the cross and repentance and the forgiveness of sins and the one true God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? People. In other words, he wanted to stimulate questions about God. I want you to check it. Uh, no, he wanted to stimulate questions about spirituality. He does not believe in a personal deity. Good night. Check out this movie clip. Sir, if you'll not be needing me, I'll close down for a while. Sure, go ahead. And, and I guess this is replacing the Bible reading portion of the sermon now. We're getting Star Wars movie clips. Uh, Luke Skywalker and... C-3PO and, and Obi-Wan Kenobi having a conversation. Good night. You know what I would prefer to be doing in church is actually opening up my Bible and reading it. What is it? It's your father's lightsaber. This is the weapon of a Jedi Knight. Not as clumsy or random as a blaster. An elegant weapon, but a more civilized age. For over a thousand generations, the Jedi Knights were the guardians of peace and justice in the old republic. Before the dark times. Before the Empire. How did my father die? A young Jedi named Darth Vader, who was a pupil of mine until he turned to evil, helped the Empire hunt down and destroy the Jedi Knights. He betrayed and murdered your father. Now the Jedi are all but extinct. Vader was seduced by the dark side of the Force. The Force? The Force is what gives the Jedi his power. It's an energy field created by all living things. It 
surrounds us and penetrates us, it binds the galaxy together. Now let's see if we can't figure out what you are, my little friend. And where you come from. I saw part of the message you... I seem to have found it. General Kenobi, years ago you served my father in the Clone Wars. Just a reminder, this is a sermon that you're listening to. Just, I don't want you to lose sight of that. Now he begs you to help him in his struggle against the Empire. I regret that I am unable to present my father's request to you in person, but my ship has fallen under attack, and I'm afraid my mission to bring you to Alderaan has failed. I have placed information vital to the survival of the Rebellion into the memory systems of this R2 unit. My father will know how to retrieve it. You must see this droid safely delivered to him on Alderaan. This is our most desperate hour. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. You must learn the ways of the Force if you're to come with me to Alderaan. Alderaan? I'm not going to Alderaan. I'm going to get home. It's late. I'm in port as it is. I need your help, Luke. She needs your help. I'm getting too old for this sort of thing. I can't get involved. I've got work to do. It's not that I like the Empire. I hate it, but there's nothing I can do about it right now. Again, just a reminder, you're listening to a sermon. It's not such a long way from here. That's your uncle talking. Oh, God, my uncle. How am I ever going to explain this? Learn about the Force, Luke. Look, I can take you as far as Anchorhead. You can get a transport there to Mos Eisley or wherever you're going. You must do what you feel is right, of course. And, uh, what good sermon would be complete without the uh, bar scene from the Star Wars movies? You are enjoying God at the movies. Hey, listen, in this scene, you were introduced to the Force and, and what the Force is. And, uh, you know, I love Star Wars and, and, and I love the whole idea of the Force, but, but that is a fictional thing. What I want to unpack for you today throughout the remainder of my talk is the fact that there is a real-life Force that we as followers of Christ can experience. And oh, no, no, no. Oh, man. He's going to try to translate the force into something biblical. The, I'm sorry, but the force doesn't translate into anything biblical. Yeah, and saying that God is a force that we can experience is that is problematic at best. And, and that is the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and so, we so now the Holy Spirit is a force. I'm gonna lose it. I'm gonna lose. Yeah, turning. The, ah! I'm sure he'll clean this up. Yeah, because the Holy Spirit isn't an it, and it's not like an energy field, and it's not electricity. It's, it's With this real life power and force and something that can guide us, uh, and it is by all means nothing fictional. And so I want to talk to you about that throughout the remainder of this day. Yeah, why don't you just open the Bible and actually do your job, sir? Put the movie down and open up a biblical text and start preaching and teaching what God has revealed there.
Yeah, and, and that's the main point. I, I, there, there is a real-life counterpart to the fictional force because the fictional force in, in Star Wars, and it's intended to be fictional, obviously, but it pales in comparison to the real-life force that is the force and the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, I have, I have a huge, huge problem with you comparing the Holy Spirit to the force. Okay, I mean, this... Uh... See, this is what happens. You start, you start in the wrong place. Your, your job, sir, is to preach the word in season and out of season. If you were preaching the word, you would run across passages that tell us about God the Holy Spirit, third person of the Holy Trinity. And you, you, nowhere in the Bible is he described as an impersonal force. But see, here's the deal. You started off with a movie because you're trying to be relevant and hip and get people in nickels and noses into your seats there. And as a result of it, the translation is not working. And you get into this kind of discussion about the Trinity, and it goes on and on and on and on because it's beyond our comprehension. But we do have Father, Son, and, and Holy Spirit that work together in perfect unity as one God. And, and, and I want to give you just a few examples of this very biblical force, of this, of this Holy Spirit, and not only what He's done throughout history... But, but what he continues to do in my life and in your life. So I'm going to give you just a few examples. It's not all the examples of the Bible, but, but it's a few. For one thing, he was there at the creation of the universe. It, the, the Bible says that the world was created by the Father and, and through the Son and by the Holy Spirit. Genesis chapter 1 verse uh, 2 Clear back in the beginning, it says, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. He was there at creation. Here's something else that... that you read a single out-of-context verse. This is biblical teaching. Um, you just had a what, how, three, four-minute-long Star Wars movie clip, and you just read a verse. Unbelievable. ...that he did that was so strategic at a pivotal point in history, he caused Christ to be conceived in the womb of a virgin, thus initiating the redemptive plan. And this is so powerful. I mean, this, everybody... Why don't you give us some of the details of the redemptive plan? Why do we need a redemptive plan? What did God do to accomplish the redemptive plan? Who did the work? Can you give me some of the miracles associated with the redemptive plan? I mean, you, you quickly did here mention that God the Holy Spirit created Jesus in the womb of the Virgin Mary, um, and I'm still not seeing the connection between the uh, God the Holy Spirit and the Star Wars force. Um, but, uh, yeah, again, why is it that you've spent more time in Star Wars, the movie, than you're really spending in God's Word? Huh, Tommy? They say, may the force be with you. Okay, this oh, here we go again. May the force be with you and also with you. And now from a reading, a reading from the Gospel of Luke. This is a real force. Now, in, in Luke chapter 1, verse 35, it says... So we got Genesis 1, verse 2, Luke chapter 1, verse 35. Isn't it weird that Jesus, that the, that the God of the Bible is getting, like, isn't getting top billing during a Star Wars movie, but, you know, it's, it's almost like Jesus is making kind of a cameo appearance during the Star Wars sermon, don't you think? 
As the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so that the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And we know this to be Jesus. The Holy Spirit caused this to happen. This is the real force. In 33 and a half years... No, the Holy Spirit is not the real force. This is a problem. Theologically, the two are not synonymous. Years later... The same spirit was there to raise this Jesus back from the dead to life again. The Holy Spirit also worked through various people throughout times and different places and different cultures and different languages and brought them together as they authored different books. And yeah, I know since God, the Holy Spirit, who you have erroneously equated with the force from the Star Wars movie. Uh, if God, the Holy Spirit, it did all these amazing things, you know, in, in causing different people with different languages at different time periods to write particular things that he inspired to be written down in the Bible, why don't you spend a little bit more time actually, you know, teaching some of the things that the Holy Spirit revealed and had written rather than two verses out of context strung together here for your Star Wars. Again, you know, really, the God of the Bible has gotten, didn't get top billing during the Star Wars sermon. And different thoughts, and he, he put it all together in, into the most important, profound, and intensely practical book ever written, the Bible. It says in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16, and the Holy Spirit was behind okay, it. Okay, we're up to three verses. This, this Bible that you have in your hand, he put it together. All scriptures God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Now, now I want to point it, something out to you, Tommy. Um, it says in that passage that all scripture is God breathed and is useful for training, correcting, teaching, rebuking, and righteousness and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, so um, if that's, that's what God's word is for, Star Wars movies are not inspired by God. Since God's word is inspired and God breathed, and that's what's profitable for teaching and training and all that kind of stuff and training in righteousness, then don't you think you should really be putting the movies aside and opening up the God-breathed word of God? Hmm? Since that's what's useful and profitable for training, teaching, rebuking, and all that kind of stuff? Huh? It, the Star Wars movies don't have that same promise attached to it. The scriptures do not say that Star Wars is a living and active sword capable of, you know, and it doesn't say anything of the sword. It's got, it says God's word is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword, not the Star Wars movies. Put it together. Here's something else that he did. He instigated the miraculous birth of the Christian church. It tells us in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, it says, when the day of Pentecost came, and this is what the Jewish people called the Feast of Weeks, and they would celebrate this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, suddenly a sound. This is the Holy Spirit at work. This is the real... Why don't you tell us the story? Why, you know, that's Acts chapter 2. Why don't you just read the whole chapter, and why don't you it, it read for us the sermon that God the Holy Spirit inspired the, the apostle Peter to preach? Hmm? That would be profitable, don't you think? Force, everybody say, may the force be with you. <laughs> I'm going to do it till you get it right, so you better pull together. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. This is the Holy Spirit. This day does not end until Peter steps up. 
under the power of the Holy Spirit and preaches a sermon that is so powerful that 3,000 people are added to the church that day. Why, why don't you preach it? Why don't you read the, the Apostle Peter's sermon that was so powerful? Rather than just talking about it, why don't you actually read to us what the text says the Apostle Peter preached on that day since it was so powerful? Hmm? Now, now, let me tell you something else that the Holy Spirit is doing, and not just in history, but he's doing right now. And he's doing it in your life, and he's doing it in my life. He takes up residence inside of every single follower of Christ, trying to make us more like Jesus. So if you've ever wondered what all that tension's all about, when you're trying to make this decision and something inside of you is pulling you this way. He- Maybe the reason why you have so much tension is because you're not listening to God, what the, what God the Holy Spirit has said. And he said all in his word, your job, pastor, is to preach the word. Maybe you'd have a lot less tension inside of you if you'd actually do your job. Here's what's going on. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. This is such a beautiful picture. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? Here we go again. I mean, that... Um, I love how guys quote that passage and just completely uh, skip the whole part about the sexual immorality uh, that's mentioned there in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Unbelievable. This changes everything when you realize this. And it helps you to begin to understand what is going on inside of you. Here's something else that the Holy Spirit is, is doing inside of you. He, he is producing nine qualities inside of every follower of Christ that you will never be able to produce through self-effort. Great. Why don't you go to Galatians and read for us? Well, read like the whole book. So, you know what, six chapters? Yeah, you could do it. You could actually do it during a sermon time. And then when we get to the the end of Galatians where the fruit of the Spirit are listed, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, uh, self-control, all that kind of stuff, um, you, then it would make sense. Why don't you tell us, why don't you preach the word to us since it's inspired and God-breathed, you know, like the, all, all of the book of Galatians, so that when we get to those nine things that, you know, qualities that you say that God the Holy Spirit is trying to produce in our lives, we can truly begin to understand what that all means, the way God the Holy Spirit intended it for us to understand it, because it will be taught to us using the clear and complete in-context word of God, which is God-breathed, but the Star Wars movies are not, by the way. And, and these are found in Galatians chapter 5, 22. Here's what he's trying to do in your life. You want to know what God's will is, by the way, and you came in here and you're not sure and you're trying to figure it out? I can tell you what God's trying to do inside of you. And, and this is not easy, so sometimes there's tension. Sometimes it's like, ah, I feel like I'm being torn apart. Well, it's because God's trying to create this. Nine qualities, love inside of you, joy, peace, patience, kindness inside of you, goodness And you may be thinking, well, that's not me. Yep, not yet. He's going to get you there. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And so many times we get hung up on the little, you know, does God want me to go to Branson, the Silver Dollar City? Is that his will today? I don't think he cares. But I I, I do think he cares about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Everybody say, may the force be with you. (laughs) Man, this this is a problem, man. I am going to have a lot of fun this weekend. And, and this is just, okay, now, now, now here's the thing. This is just some of what the Holy Spirit is doing. Just sum up. Not everything, sum up. Now, now, now in staying with this whole theme of the real force, 
and what that looks like in the Bible. I, I, I want to show you something and, and compare the real force to the fictional force. So, so I want to talk to you about the difference between the Star Wars fictional force and the real-life biblical force. Now, now, here's what I'm not doing. I'm not knocking Star Wars. I wish George Lucas would make six more movies. I, I love those movies. I love science fiction. Somebody just say amen to that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I love science fiction. I love. Yeah, he gets an amen on the. Uh, we need more Star Wars movies. Points. Uh, yeah, not hearing a lot of amens from the the punches you're pulling from the Bible. Fantasy and all of that. I'm not knocking it. I'm just taking something that is common to all of us in culture, and I'm just finding common ground that we all get. And and from that, I'm trying to do my best to talk to you about what I think is very sound doctrine from the Bible in such a way that you won't soon forget it. You you haven't done, you haven't even really taught us what the Bible says, sir. Um, we're gonna soon forget what you said because there's no depth to it at all. I mean, seriously. I mean, this is I mean, this is like going out on a hot summer day and grabbing your garden hose and spraying down the uh, the asphalt on your street. It's going to evaporate within a matter of minutes. There's nothing memorable here to remember because you haven't taught anything from the Bible with any depth whatsoever. You get to go tell your friends Darth Vader took the offering, y'all. And, and, and Oh, yeah, people will remember that. Yeah, they had somebody dressed like Darth Vader taking the offering. But you're going to remember what I say tonight. Here's the thing. I'm, I'm going to talk about the fictional force and contrast that with, with the real force. But for one thing, the fictional force, Star Wars force, it's impersonal. The official guide to the Star Wars universe says that... The Why do I feel like we're, he's going to correctly quote the official guide to the Star Wars universe in context, but he hasn't been doing that really with the Bible. I just... Uh... The force is an energy field generated by all living things. Now, the Holy Spirit is, is totally different from this. The, the real force... Yeah, that's what I've been saying. The Holy Spirit is a person, and he lives inside of us, and he shows you the truth, and he convicts you, and he... Yeah, he convicts us of our sin and unbelief, and he does that through the preaching of the Word. Why don't you really actually teach us what the Bible really says? I mean, this is worse than, you know, some cheap highlight reel. He reveals God's ways to you, and he reveals the plan of Jesus. And he makes Scripture come to life. Since God the Holy Spirit makes Scripture come to life, why don't you preach that? And, and this is so important. This is a relationship. This, this is not some abstract thing. This is a personal relationship. Well, everything you're saying about the Bible pretty much is abstract. These are all just abstractions about the Bible. Relationship with, with God Almighty. This is an amazing thing. This, in fact, Jesus said, here's what he said, because Jesus was one, per, he's fully God, fully man at the same time. He's one person, one place. He tells his disciples, it's better that I go to the Father. Because when I do, I can send my spirit. And, and Why don't you read that passage so we can see it in context and know what you're talking about? And my spirit can, can live inside of you. This is a very personal thing. So, so the force is impersonal, not the Holy Spirit. Now, another thing about the fictional force is this. The force may or may not be God. 
Lucas was interviewed, and, and he was asked, hey, is the force God? Is that what you intended? And, and, and he said, no, I, I would hesitate to call the force God. I'm not calling the force God. Because he doesn't believe in a personal deity. Duh. But, but it is an energy. He believes he's God. Field, it is kind of the glue that holds the universe together in my Star Wars world, not in the real world, but in, in that world. Now, now uh, totally on the other side of the coin, when, when you look biblically at the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is, is with all clarity. He, he's equally God with God the Father and God the Son. And I know that's crazy. You're talking about three and somehow that's one. And how did that happen? And but, but Why don't you show us all of the biblical texts? So we can understand the oneness of God and the threeness of God. Yeah, you, you understand what I'm saying? Why don't you show us all of the biblical texts that support the doctrine of the Trinity so we can see how that works, how we got that doctrine from the Bible? But and it's, it's beyond our comprehension, but it is still doctrine and it is still the truth. Here's another thing about the force. You watch the movies and, and, and by the way, how many have seen Star Wars? If you have, raise your hand. Yes most of us, I would say, the, the force in the movie is both good and bad. Jedi Knights access its positive side while the bad... Yeah, Dr. Martin explained all this to us. ...bad guys access its dark side. So it's, join me, Luke Skywalker. You don't know the power of the dark side. So it's good and bad, this force is. And really, this is just Eastern philosophy 101. Right. Where God is both good and bad at the same time. Now, in contrast, the Holy Spirit is only good. He is good, and he opposes evil. And in your life, he will oppose evil. If you're about to make a decision that just doesn't line up with what he is, and biblically and holy and etc., he checks you. you. You know that. And what happens when you run right over that check, and then you chase after that sin, and you commit it? You got, got any solutions for that one? Check. He checks you. He opposes evil. Here's, here's another thing. The force calls upon people to rely on their feelings. And, and I'm not knocking feelings or whatever, but you can't complete. Notice the subjectivism of um, Eastern mysticism. Just, you know, it, it has a lot. In fact, there's a, there is a similarity between the subjectivism of pietism. Completely rely on your feelings. Young Anakin Skywalker is told, feel, don't think, trust your instincts. I want you to watch this movie clip. Okay, now I'm going to point something out. We're going to hear another movie clip. And absolutely, the Star Wars movies get the bulk of this, quote, sermon. And uh, and they get, in fact, Star Wars gets top billing. God gets, well, a cameo walk-on. Remember, a Jedi can feel the Force flowing through him. You mean he controls your actions? Partially, but it also obeys your commands. <laughs> Pokey religions and ancient weapons are no match for a good blaster at your side, kid. You don't believe in the Force, do you? Kid, I've flown from one side of this galaxy to the other. I've seen a lot of strange stuff, but I've never seen anything to make me believe there's one all-powerful force controlling everything. There's no mystical energy field that controls my destiny. 
It's all a lot of simple tricks and nonsense. I suggest you try it again, Luke. This time, let go your conscious self and act on instinct. <laughs> With the blast shield down, I can't even see. How am I supposed to fight? Your eyes can deceive you. Don't trust them. Stretch out with your feelings. You see? You can do it. I call it luck. In my experience, there's no such thing as luck. Look, good against remotes is one thing. Good against the living, it's something else. Looks like we're coming up on Alderaan. You know, I did feel something. I could almost see the remote. That's good. You've taken your first step into a larger world. So this whole idea of feelings and the force and the combination of the two is kind of interesting in Star Wars because Luke Skywalker is told over and over again to trust his feelings. And George Lucas in an interview one time said, ultimately the force is the larger mystery of the universe and to trust your feelings is your way into that. And I'm all for feelings and instincts and intuition and I'm all for the Holy Spirit speaking to us and telling us to do something. But, but we have an anchor and, and that anchor is the Bible. And, and the Bible is, is the... Great. If we have an anchor that's called the Bible, why don't you open it up and really start teaching and preaching what it says? Ultimate truth. And so if we ever think that we're told something or we're trusting our feelings or think the Holy Spirit told us something, but it doesn't line up with that anchor of truth, the Bible, then we can rest assured that, that God is not the one that told us to do that. So uh, sometimes feelings can lead you down the wrong path. So I don't think... Yeah, like the feeling you had that you needed to do a relevant movie series uh, and, and preach on Star Wars. When the clear teaching of the Bible says that your job, Pastor, is to preach the word. In season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Uh-huh. Yeah, see, that's what God's Word says your job is, and you're not doing it. So it doesn't matter that you felt like this is what the Holy Spirit was leading you to do. God, the Holy Spirit, was not leading you to preach the Star Wars sermon. think you can just trust your feelings. You have to line those feelings up, those impressions, uh, with that anchor of truth, the Bible, because it's always right. Now, one final thing about the Force, um, and, and it's this. The Force in, in the movies is reserved only for the elite, like a Jedi Knight or someone that's sharp or sensitive and gets it and goes by their instincts. And no, somebody who has a midichlorian count that is off the charts. And, and they're the best of the best of the best. Now, on the other side of that coin, when it comes to the real Force, the Holy Spirit, he is for everyone that becomes a follower of Christ. And, and, and what he does when he is inside of us is he shows us truth. He reveals God's will. He shows us truth from Scripture. He, he enlightens us. When we're looking at certain things in Scripture, he makes it come to life. He convicts. One Great. Why don't you preach the word then and let the Holy Spirit do his job? One of the main things that he does is reveal the truth about the Holy Spirit and, or about Jesus. And, and I would say this to you because some of you are in here and you're not quite sure um, about your faith or where you are with it, and you're not sure if you can completely know, you know, God, and, and you wonder, 
about certain things like, well, can't all religions connect with God? And I don't know. I, you know, to me, it's just hard to narrow it down to one thing. And, and you're just on a search. And, and I'm not knocking you for that at, at all. I, I think it's, it's, it's uh, commendable for you to be in this church tonight. And it's part of your journey. And this is part of what you're looking for. But, but and, you know, part of what you're searching for. But I do want to say this to you. And, and you may be a little skeptical when I say it. But, but I'm just going to say it. I, I, I think that you... And I'm going to tell you how in just a moment, and then you can take it or leave it. Um, I think that you can have this power, this real force that I'm talking about, that thing inside of you that intimately connects you with the God of the universe. In fact, I know you can have it. Now, I want to point something out. He's not preaching repentance and the forgiveness of sins. You don't get to come to God on your own terms. You don't get to come to God going, well, my pastor said that, hey, I can come to you and and I can have power for my life. Okay, that's great. Um, Tell me about sin. Tell me about what Jesus was doing on the cross. Well, I, I don't know much. I don't know anything about that. I mean, I know he died on the cross. Well, what was he dying for? I don't know. I'm just here for power for my life. And, and so the, the Holy Spirit will review, reveal to me, you know, my plan and my purpose for my life. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's great. Um, I have no idea what God you're talking about or what God this person was trying to sell you on, but uh, you, you don't come to God in this way. Let's talk about your real problem, sin, and let's talk about what the, what God's solution for that problem is, his justice and wrath being propitiated by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And you need to be you need to repent because it's your sin that put Jesus on the cross. You are actually responsible for murdering Jesus Christ. Um okay, I don't know about any of that, but I I'm just here for the power for living stuff. Yeah, that, that's great, but the God of the Bible doesn't offer anything to you except for the forgiveness of your sins to start off with. All the other stuff, yeah, that, that, the, the, all the other things, those are only offered to those who've been brought to repentance and the forgiveness of their sins. If, you're, if, you, if you haven't been brought to that, you're not even inside of the kingdom of God. God has nothing to offer you except for his judgment and his wrath. Oh, well, I, I'm really not interested in that God. Well, I didn't, didn't think you would be. That's probably why the pastor didn't preach about that God. And maybe you're wondering, well, well how? I mean, a lot of people claim such a thing and, you know, whatever. How, how do I have that? And, and I told you when we began this talk that I was going to talk about two spiritual themes and spend most of my time on the first theme. But, but here's the second theme, and I'll give it to you really quick, and, and then I'll pray for you. And here's how. This is the application and this is for you if you've been a follower of Christ for a long time or, or you're new at this or, or you've been you know, away from it or this is your first time you've been to church or heard anything about Christianity. This is for every last one of us and we cannot forget this and we need to apply this on a daily basis. But the second spiritual theme, and, and it's one of the most beautiful things in the Bible and even with this movie, and that is redemption. Redemption. When it comes to this movie, Star Wars, there is redemption even for those who seem too far gone. Really, uh, who died for the sins of Darth Vader? Um, curious. To be saved. And, and, and if you want to know how to connect with this force, the real force, connect with the God in the universe, it is redemption. And, and of course, the, the, the greatest example that we have in this movie, of course, is Darth Vader that there is redemption even for someone as corrupt as him. Now, the Bible has its own Darth Vader, and, and his name is Paul. We call him the Apostle Paul. 
And he's kind of like our hero. And we read his books in the Bible. And, you know, he's like, you know, the stud of Christianity. This guy's got it going. But, but the truth in his life is this guy was a terrorist. This guy persecuted Christian. He, he, he killed innocent Christians. But God not only redeems this guy, he not only redeems him, but he uses him as mightily as he will ever use anyone on this planet. And and I get- and what do you what does the term redeem and redemption mean? What are you talking about? I mean, if I'm an unbeliever and I've never been to church and I'm supposedly there because I received a flyer in the mail letting me know that uh, somebody was going to be doing a sermon in a church about my favorite movie, um, you know, um, I I I I may not understand anything like square one about what's redemption. Uh, what does it mean? Why do I need it? What are the details of how that redemption took place? Can you can you f- fill me in on the plot line a little bit here? I guess here's what I would say to every person in this room, no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter what your past is, no matter where you come from. And, and, and listen, I, if, if you told me your story, I have a cap. I have a lid. I have a place where my mercy extends and it stops. Every person in this room has that. Maybe your story so wild that at some point I'm like, woohoo, you know, too much for me. But, but let me just tell you this, good thing for you, I'm not God, okay? Because God is very, very gracious and can redeem you. And every person in- can redeem me. I thought Jesus did already redeem me. Can you please give me some of the biblical details? Like open up your Bible and start talking from the Bible where it talks about redemption and our need for it and who accomplished it. Can you give me some details here? in this room can have an intimate relationship with God through Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. What did he do on the cross? Details, please. And that's the secret to this power, this force living inside of you. So if I want a a, a secret, powerful force living inside of me, it has something to do with what Jesus did on the cross and something about something called redemption. And it doesn't matter how far gone I am, uh, God supposedly is capable of redeeming me so that I can have this power. Um, I, yeah, I, I'm not. I, the the picture is way too fuzzy here. Um, can you bring the camera into focus, please? Let's pray. That's it. That's the end of the sermon. <sighs> Must have been a cliffhanger. Yeah, yeah, because uh, left us. Uh, you know, left us on a cliff without any answers. Yeah, you know, maybe we, maybe this is one of those sermons to be continued. If you want further details, you got to come back to a different sermon. Uh, maybe a sermon on the X Files movie or something. I, I don't know, but I mean, there you go. We learn more about Star Wars than we did about anything the Bible teaches, though. That is absolutely one hundred percent certain, and that's the reason why. These sermons on movies are absolutely wrong. Pastors should not be doing this. They're abdicating their real biblical responsibility, and that's to preach the Word. If you preach the Word in season and out of season, then the people who are listening to you, Pastor, will understand what the Bible says regarding who God is and his nature. They will understand where the doctrine of the Trinity comes from. They will understand that God the Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force, but 
a God, the Holy Spirit, third person of the Holy Trinity. They'll get all that, and they'll get it in spades, and they'll know how to properly check their feelings according to what God's Word has clearly said, what it clearly says, and what the Holy Spirit has revealed in there, because they'll actually know it. But see, coming away from this sermon, I really didn't learn anything about the Bible or redemption or what Jesus did on the cross or what it means to be brought into the kingdom of God at all. I sure did hear a relevant sermon, though, about Pastor Sparger's favorite set of movies, the Star Wars movies. And all I could say is, what a waste of time. And this is a sin. Because this man didn't do what he's commanded to do by God in his clear word, to preach the word, to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins, Christ and him crucified for our sins, sound biblical doctrine, using the Bible to teach it. What a mess. What an absolute mess. Sadness. So what would you think? I'd like to get your feedback. Before I give you the information on how to contact me, just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith, this is listener-supported radio, and then we, we did not reach our goal of 350 new subscribers uh, you know, to our crew, and uh, we still have about 200 left to go. So if you have not already joined our crew, we desperately need your help and need you to join our crew so that we can make budget. Visit fightingforthefaith.com, click on the Join Our Crew button. It's only $6.95 every month. It's not a lot of money. It means the world to us because it means that uh, we'll be able to continue to pay our bills and continue to bring this important radio outreach to you into the world. And when you sign up, actually, once I'm done editing this month's uh, book, I will send it out to you. And it's uh, Dr. Paul Kretzman's popular commentary on the Gospel of Matthew. It's a VIP tour of the Gospel of Matthew. And it has all of the depth that Tommy Sparger left out of this sermon. Let's just put it that way. All of it. It's right there. It's fantastic. It's wonderful. It's edifying. And when you, when it's a great book uh, for you to work through in your daily devotional reading of God's Word. It's that. It's really that good. So anyway, visit fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the Join Our Crew button. If you'd like to make a one-time contribution, you can do so. Click on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. That's what he was there, there doing, propitiating the wrath of God because of your evil. Amen. Amen.